Welcome to episode 150 of the Men Who Save Football. We're back for another season and there's a lot to talk about. We might start off with probably the biggest issue that has happened in the closed season. At the end of last season, we were discussing the uncertainty about Patrick Hoban's future at the club. He was under contract and I think we said, look, hope this all gets sorted out. He's an absolutely integral player, legendary status. We had that weird night where we sort of had his farewell tribute night didn't know whether it was going to be a farewell night at the time, but turned out to be. He's moved on to Derry City, and that's a big, big call by the management to let him go. Guys, what's your reaction? And if we kind of do this a little bit differently, obviously everybody will you know, give the easy answer that it's a bad decision. We should have kept him. He scores goals. But can you see a reasoning? Maybe can you see what the logic might have been in the thinking of those in charge to let him go to Derry? In a way, we're, we're reacting to the move, but I think by the end of last season, the writing was on the wall anyway, and I, so I don't think it was kind of a shock. By the, it was like you know the the word had come out before the season had ended that this was going to happen. Um, so, as you said, I mean the the kind of the standard responses is this is a bad thing, but it, may, it could be interesting now the dust has, dust has settled to to look at it from alternative uh, viewpoints. One thing I would say is to address the fact that no one, I would say no one really knows what went on in the discussions that led to the move. Listen, everyone around the town and everyone who's a fan of the club has heard alternative stories or has heard, you know, variations on a story of what had happened and why the decision had happened. Um, weirdly, if you, I mean, if you read what both Pat said and what Skip said, they also kind of, you know, don't actually address it, especially Skip. I mean, he said, we had a conversation and then it's, you know, the, the conversation is almost like a black hole where you don't know what happened in that conversation. And then on the other side of it, um, Skip says that, uh, I mean, I'm going to quote here. He said, um, from that conversation, um, if I'm going to quote from what Skip said. We had a sit down in person before the game at Bohemians in October and I had a chat about many different things. There was a lot of uncertainty at the time, and we talked about where the club was at. I felt it was an amicable and constructive meeting, but from media reports in the days that followed, Pat came out of it and felt that it was the end of the line for him at Dundalk. Once a player has that in their head, it's best for both parties to start afresh and find an agreement that was fair for both. So if you think about that, like uh, they had a conversation. No one knows what the content of the conversation was. Skip says it was an amicable and constructive meeting um, and Pat came out of it feeling it was the end of it. So the thing about it is there's a mystery at the heart there, which is about what the conversation was. There's a very interesting line, though, from what Skip says, though. Um, after he said, once a player has it in their head, it's best for both parties to start afresh. He then says, prerequisite for a team trying to achieve goals and win trophies is for everyone to have an all-for-one, one-for-all mentality and to be tri- striving towards the same goal. Now, with the obvious thing here that that is Skip's take on things, his argument, essentially, if you is that that's, that's the most, I think, telling line, which is it's important for everybody to be on side with the same... Uh, goal. Um, now, I'm not saying, you know, again, no one knows the actual uh, details of the conversation, but Skip felt that there was a, you know, an incongruence between what he felt and what Hoban felt. Now, I think what we might be alluding to here is, did did Skip see a kind of an on-the-field footballing difference? You know, is there, was there a tactical change coming or did he want to try different things? 
that Pat Hoban didn't work in. Because if you look at the, you know, the facts, um, highest scoring player in our history, club legend, talisman, and as we've said multiple times on this podcast, even when he's not scoring, when he's doing his thing, some of his most memorable nights is when he's not on the score sheet. Talisman, you know, a club legend, top scoring player, and it seems shocking to remove him from that. But if you, as you say, we want to look at it from the viewpoint, which is, is there alternatives to this? Did Skip see that he wanted to start arranging the team in a different way and that Pat Hoban wasn't part of his plans? What those plans are then, I suppose, what we might try to pick apart here, but it's a fairly radical plan to take out the top scoring player um, at the club at the time as well. It's not as if it was, we're trading off past boys. He was the top scorer last season as well. Um, but definitely there's a mystery at the heart of this because no one really knows the conversation and people on both sides, I think, try to claim what was said. But was it the fact that Skip had said, I want to play in a certain way and that is not exactly how Pat Hoban plays and is that is that the issue is that is that what we're getting at now if that is the issue and we'll see what the lads have to say on that is there's two questions then first of all is that a route the right approach to take to say I'm going to tactically change things whilst I have in my arsenal the highest scoring player in the club's history you know that's kind of a slightly radical thing it's one thing to say if Pat Hoban retired and then said right time to you know, maybe change how Dundalk do things going forward, you know. Um, but to say it whilst you have under contract, which is the other thing, he was still under contract, uh, an out-and-out proven number nine striker to say, well, I'm going to change things up. Is that the best approach to take, you know? So, you know, and then sorry, the other question is, is it going to work? But I think the initial thing is that's quite a radical roll of the dice, and it's not just any player. It's not like, you know, we'll talk about maybe John Martin in a second or something like that. You know, it's not one thing to say, well, we have a striker and we're going to change things around. But it's the striker, the literal Dundalk striker of all time and saying we're going to change things up. Now, there are other factors before I, I stop talking. Now, there are other factors which are, I think, his age has to be a factor as well, um, which is if you are going forward and building something going forward, uh, is he, what, 33 and coming to, into the final year of his contract, um, maybe that was an issue as well. Um, we can also possibly talk, you know, again, I, I'm going to go on the record in here and say that I'm, we're all in this podcast where Pat Hoban super fans, as you said before, Ken. But um, since the maybe the middle of last season, I think you could detect a noticeable change maybe in his form. I don't think he was as potent definitely from August on. From when he broke the record, I'm not saying that's a factor. I'm not going to say it's a causation thing, but I would say when he, from about August on when he broke the record, I would say if the Dundalk fans are being fair, you could see a a, a, a decline in something, intensity, um, his age. And again, it's I think it's what your, your approach can. We're trying to rationalize it and say there are possibly ways to think about this which aren't all doom and gloom. We'll probably cover no. Covering old ground from from the end of last season. First of all, I think I might have said this last. I think there's there's a time and place to have this conversation, and it's in the off season. It's not at the end of the season. I think that's a huge factor. So I mean, 
in terms of like you know what you're saying uh, what you're asking ken is that you know has is there a bigger is there a bigger plan for this and no matter how many times i look at it or how many times i put my head around it that will have to play out for me this season that has to play out for me this season with a with a, with a striker who's scoring more than the second highest goal scorer in the league last year those facts are facts Huben has 14 goals last season and two above him but one goal extra 15 goals so the second highest goal scorer last season and you know that's a to me that's a that's an incredible signing for Derry because goals are hard to come by in this league and when a top goal scorer has 15 and the second highest goal scorer has 14 and Pat Huben has 14 then that's a it's a massive for me so like I I don't think I'm only a fan, okay. So I'm not as as football literate as that as as Skip and his professional team that he has around him. So I have to put full trust in them that they see more than 14 goals and in, in whoever they have decided to, or 14 goals combined or more combined around the pitch. So because there might be a completely different way of play um, next season. So I mean, I you have to trust in Skip on, on that one. But so I I can't answer that question in terms of like. Do you see another re- another you know reason why you know tactically you might be letting Patrick Huben go? Um, I think it's a great signing for Derry because you know if you put that kind of an asset into your team and you're chasing for the title, I, I take it that we're all on the same page regarding like top one and two should be Shamrock Rovers and Derry this season again, and it's possibly a piece of the jigsaw that will go nicely into place for them, and maybe. Uh, Possibly Pat is a huge personality within within the club and in the dressing room. And maybe that came down to it as well. I'm not talking with Skip, I'm talking maybe with the other players. And, you know, like he went off. Like it's amazing. Like we said, like he kind of came off the boil a little bit last season. But to still finish, you know, with with so many goals in in, in terms of, you know, the highest strikers in, in, in the league, I think is is pretty phenomenal. Um, so I don't know about that. All I know is that when we picked up the jersey, we sponsored him for Europe last year. So I had the, the the photo opportunity with him. Um, he was a complete another gentleman, very, very professional. And I think there was, I said to him, now, don't be going anywhere. And he just kind of looked at me and said, well, he said, you know, if things happen, things happen. And uh, I think probably that was the last bit of business he did for the club um, was with ourselves. So, I mean, you wish him all the best. And I think that there'll be a lot of goals for him in the in, in in red and white this year so you know i think we have to probably draw a line under it at some point as well and just say look this is what we're doing and we we, we place our trust in and skip and we we march on but uh, it's a sad departure you know a club legend uh so many goals as i said big personality and uh an asset to any team so rory in his summary right he talked a little bit about going back to you know the middle of last season and you know damien talked about it as well i think it's probably, I think, you know, smothering over the cracks a little bit by saying that he was a little bit off the boil, right, uh, in sort of the, the end of the summer last year. I think as early as, you know, August, we had picked up that something looked wrong because, you know, somebody remarked on this earlier, but when Pat Hoogan plays for Dundalk, it's normally not just the goals, right? He's normally leading the line. He's very involved in the game. You know, he was the one who was, you know, basically taking on defenders all the time, holding the ball up, bringing other players into into play, and all of that disappeared from his game. Like there was games uh, towards the latter half of last year where he was just totally anonymous, and so it really had the look of something was wrong. And you know, we we go back as far as this 
conversation with Skip whenever it happened, you know, before the Bohemians game. But that was, you know, really well on towards the end of the season. But it's clear that something wasn't right before that. Now, at the same time, I think the final game of the season uh, against UCD, right, he really shows what he brings to the team because he was up for that game. Uh, I think we went to goal down early on. Uh, it was that classic, you know, sort of we, we couldn't seem to find a way through. And he came up with two goals that night. Uh, and Daniel Kelly with another as well, which, you know, really showed where other people were like hitting the post or missing the target altogether and this kind of thing. He was the one who stepped up and put the ball in the back of the net. And after the game as well, right, I think, you know, lots of love and respect from the fans for him, but he took his time, you know, despite the emotional effect of maybe having played his last game for Dundalk, uh, took photos with the fans, you know, smiles and handshakes and stuff like that all around, right? So, you know, not only I think is the club losing somebody of his goal scoring pedigree, but also the character that he had uh, and his relationship with the fans and stuff like that, right? So that is a big loss. And to some degree, the club held all the cards here, right? He was under contract for another year. So if the club doesn't want him to move on for any reason, then they, we can keep him, right? There is no problem. Even if he's, you know, banging his fists, throwing a tantrum and stuff like that, we can simply say, you were under contract, sir. See you next year. Uh, but that's not what happened, right? And so I think this very much looks like a conscious choice on behalf of the coach and his staff to say, we want to go uh, a different direction. And for me, that is a huge gamble, right? You know, we've talked it uh, all through already about him being, you know, the, the club's leading goal scorer, about his the, the fact that he was our top scorer last season, very close to being top scorer in the league. Uh, and giving a player of that caliber to your immediate rivals, uh, seems like shooting yourself in the foot. And then I think putting your faith in a lot of untried and untested players, right, uh, on the other hand, is also, like I say, an enormous gamble. And I think when we had our last show of the year last year, right, we said our, our summary was that Skip had all this credit in the bank from his first year where we overachieved and everything looked really great. And all of that was spent last year, right? It's at, by the end of the season, I think people were, you know, pretty disheartened with the, the way that the team had performed throughout the year, especially given the budget that we had and the budget that others had. And so, you know, like I say, I think this is a, a huge gamble. I'm trying to think to myself, how would we judge whether this was a good decision or not? Right. I think what metrics would we use to, to try and figure out if this worked out? So if Pat Hoobin at Derry scores 20 goals next year and... You know, the top scorer in our team has single figures or, you know, sort of lower than that, then I think that will be a pretty bad sign, right? That will be a sign that this has been very much the wrong decision. Uh, if it turns out that, you know, he struggles for games and for goals uh, and we go on to find, you know, some sort of system where, you know, as Damien said, maybe the goals are a bit more spread around. It doesn't necessarily mean one person is banging in 20 goals for us. But maybe if, you know, a whole selection of players across the team are hitting double figures, then we can say maybe that's a, a success. Maybe this was a good decision after all. Um, but like I say, an enormous gamble. Coming back to the notion of why this decision was made, I mean, that you could speculate and there'd be a risk that you get into the kind of emotions of whether or not, um, you know, you back Stephen O'Donnell or you back Patrick Hoban before this decision is played out. What, what was said or how it was interpreted, I think, is a moot point. It seems pretty clear that Dundalk could have kept Patrick Hoobin under contract if they wanted to. It seems pretty clear that a big decision has been made to let him go. I suppose fans will always have the instinct that they want to keep a legendary player forever and want to see him go on and on and on. 
but it is a big call. Now, if you're trying to step into Stephen O'Donnell's shoes, I suppose we could look for reasons as to why he wants to do this. Now, there is a difference to the way that we play when Patrick Huben is in the team and when he's out of the team. And I think we mentioned this when he was absent from the team last time, that we seem to have a more fluid formation. When Pat is on the pitch, he forms this um, focal point to the attack. He's usually heavily marked, but he, we know he, what he does. He plays with his back to goal. The ball is fed into him. The whole attack tends, tends to be built around him. And it kind of creates a situation where, you know, very much he's the focal point. He's the point of, of um, attention. He's the one that defenders are concerned with. And we know he's effective there and we know he gets goals. But when he's out of the team, we seem to have a more fluid formation. We seem to be able to do things slightly differently. Um, Cameron Elliott, for example, he will run the channels in a way that Patrick Huben does, does not. Detractors from Patrick Huben will tell you that he doesn't have much pace and that's not part of his game. So if Stephen O'Donnell has a different vision for the team, which involves a centre forward who is more mobile, balls being played down the channel, getting into the corners and trying to develop goals, you know, from wide positions with intricate passing and the goals being spread around to, like we played, we played last night with a kind of a four-two-three-one. So if we're intending to kind of have a much more mobile attack like that, maybe Patrick Huben isn't your man. We also have to look at the age. We have to look at, um, you know, that possibility of, you know, if you're stuck in that mode of play, would we just be destined to have a similar season to last season? Another thing which fans don't often have to contend with is the balancing of the budget. Perhaps a factor of this was that Patrick Huben would be on a contract that was signed at times when we were flush with peak six money. Um, it was probably a good contract. Maybe Stephen O'Donnell has said, I can get two, two and a half players out of that wage. So if I move Patrick on right now, I not only get a fee for him, but I can maybe make two or three important additions to the squad, which give me options. Stephen O'Donnell is probably also perhaps thinking that there is a new owner. That owner did not appoint him. That owner, we don't know how much faith he has in that particular manager. So he's probably thinking, you know, if I have a similar season to last season, if I stick with the personnel that we're here and we'll get on to the other changes because we have a radical movement of players in and out of the squad, it's almost an entirely new team. Stephen O'Donnell might be thinking, I need to make big changes now to get the team performing better or else I might not be Dundalk manager in another year. So I think, as you said, it is a massive decision. It's one that fans will reflexively think is the wrong one. I suppose not to put too much pressure on him, Patrick Huben's direct replacement and his performance will be a big factor in whether fans evaluate this to be a success as well. If we see Jamie Gullen come into the team and offer something different to Patrick and get on the score sheet, that's wishful thinking. If he scores a brace on the opening day of the season and we get points or beat Shamrock Rovers, I think a lot of people will be saying, yeah, this is looking like a decent call if he struggles to get goals while Patrick Hoban takes off. And I think there's every possibility that Pat will suit Derry, given the players he'll have around him. I'd still expect him to perform. Then it'll it'll probably not look like such a great call. But the decision's been made now, so all of this is going to be playing out over the coming months. We can look at the other rather radical overhaul that we've got to the squad. If we list players that have moved on, Derry have also come in for Daniel Kelly. And then we've had players 
like Dara Leahy, who has been around for a while, he's moved on. Robbie McCourt has gone. Peter Cherry, who's spanned several years in Dundalk, has finally left. And also fan favourites like Keith Ward, reliable players like Johannes Yulikoko, who was one of our more creative players last year, and also John Martin, who offered us a little bit of versatility. All of those guys have moved on. Uh, and perhaps most controversially, Nathan Shepard, uh, who seemed to be, um, you know, one of the better performers for much of last season, although his form did dwindle away. It seems that he is more or less, or his representative have talked him out of the club and um, contract demands for a release clause just were balked at. Uh, we see players from the League of Ireland still going over to England or abroad to other countries for a pittance because of these clauses, these kind of mandatory release clauses. That seemed to be the stumbling point there. So if you want to summarize our players that have left, we know that we have a, a rule. Uh, we don't tend to criticize or single out players when they're in the squad. But now that these guys have moved on, uh, we can kind of put that rule aside and you can give us your honest opinion. Which of those guys, and we can throw now Greg Sloggett in there as well. It looks like he's going to be playing for Cheltenham and not returning to the club. Which of those players are you kind of, you know, think maybe it's best for them that they move on. Uh, they didn't perhaps have a, a great time at Dundalk. And which of them do you think maybe, you know, might have been worth keeping? This could be quite short, Ken. <clears throat> I think there's two that I'm sad to see go. Um, I think Keith Ward, you know, I think I'm, I'm sad to see Keith going because Keith's a, he, he, he's an exceptional character to have in the squad. And he, when he comes in off the bench, he is very, very effective. And I think even when he starts those games that you you know your, your opposition that you're expecting to beat, he's he's very very effective as well. So yeah, I'm so, I'm I'm sad to see uh, Keith Keith go, and Johannes Eli Coco. I thought he was very very good last season, but we're always going to see Johannes go back to Scandinavia anyway. So that was that was thing. So I think on the rest of them, um, you know, I think I've seen an awful lot of Darley, uh and you know Daniel Kelly. And obviously, we talked about that. And um, Robbie McCourt didn't see too much of him. Nathan Shepard, I mean, I think that's a very, very interesting one um, because I think that when you get into a situation when you're dealing with, with players and they're looking for particular clauses within within their um, their contracts, I think that, you know, you have to you have to back the management and you have to back the club for, for taking the decision there to say, eh, no, um, you were a good servant, you were, were an exceptional player, but no, that's just not happening in our watch because... That's just not the way we do business around here. I think once you do that once, then I think that's that's enough then for the rest of the players to know that, you know, you're not taking that kind of nonsense. Like, you know, you're not being held to ransom, you know, because you find yourself halfway through the season, you know, Nathan's having a brilliant season and all of a sudden, you know, he feels that there's a better deal coming and he's out the door. So, no, I, 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 um, I'll split that one business-wise. I think it's good riddance. I think personally, uh, possibly... Um, you know, we, we could we could miss him. We don't know what the other keepers are going to be like. And I, I always like Nathan Shepard as well as a player. And then Peter, Peter Sherry, servant to the club, absolute legend. And, you know, I think possibly, you know, it's just time is up. So that's probably my my kind of I didn't I thought it would actually be shorter than that, Ken. Um, but I think that's my they're they're my 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 thoughts of the outgoing players. Yeah, I mean, I would say one thing I, I would agree with Keith Ward, the fact that he went to shells because I would say that if Keith, who's been around, he's a journeyman player in one way, right? He's been around, okay, thing. I did think he brought something. If he had gone and maybe gone to a first division club or something like that, he would say, okay, he's a player possibly in decline. But the fact that Shells were interested in him, and let's be frank here about who are rivals and who are not rivals. 
Shells are a direct rival to the Ndok FC. I mean, we can talk about Pat Hoban going to Derry or Daniel Kelly going to Derry, but if we're being very honest, Derry and Rovers are let's going to be the tier above us. Let's look at our who are our actual rivals. It's players going to Bows, Shells, that kind of thing. Okay, and I think Shells are next season are going to be a direct rival to us. Um, again. So I think for Keith to go to Shells is a d- double whammy. You know, you're losing him and Shells are interested in him. If there's no interest in him, you think, well, maybe that's the feeling that he's a player on the wane. So I, I definitely think someone like uh, Keith Ward is a loss. Um, I think, as, as Damien said, Johannes was always going to go. So it's one of those things that you think that it doesn't burn as much in a way, but I thought it, it was really nice to see. I think the eternal conundrum will be, it, it looks likely now that Greg Sloggett's going to go and this, the talk is he's going for personal reasons um, that Greg is a player that you always think maybe is next season is the season that he really uh, delivers on promise let's face it we can say this now that he's almost certainly going to go I think internally amongst us we always felt that Greg it was you know he was teetering on the brink of properly putting in um now we we talked about was he being playing out of position? We talked about is where where is his best position? Was he not really being given the chance to? I mean, maybe he had been cast in the role which is the most poisoned chalice of all time, which is the uh, Chris Shields replacement, um, uh, which is you know massive shoes to fill. But then we said when he was never really played exactly to do that. So Greg Sloggett might turn out to be a what if. I think Dara Lee, you know, um, fond, fond memories of him. The one thing I'm a bit surprised about players moving on, I mean, John Martin, Dara Lee, he is, is it a, balance, a, a budget rebalancing thing? And, you know, are we attempting to get more value for salaries? Because I think you made a really good point about Pat Hoban, which is a massive factor that fans have to consider is that Skip, probably was looking ahead to not, not, I mean, if you talk about, you know, English and European football, you're talking about buying a player for a certain amount. In League of Ireland football, it's really salaries. You've got, you're given a budget and saying, we have to play, pay X amount of players, right? That's the real decision. It's not like, do we have a hundred million to pay for, you know, Damien Rice, whatever. It's, can you pay the salary of someone? And I think you're right about Pat Hogan, which is Skip probably said, I could get two players for that salary. Then you're looking at players who've been around a while and, you know, some of them are going first division, some of them are going up to Derry. And if you're going up to Derry, again, it's that X factor of salaries because they are funded by a billionaire. So you can't compete with that. So while it might be sad to see players like Dara and Daniel Kelly go because they've been great servants, you then wonder, you have to put your pragmatic hat on and go, well, is the idea here that he needs to build a squad off off a less less salary we, we're going to have less money for salary so you've start thinking pragmatically so i think yeah um greg is probably the one because you probably think that when you know maybe next season comes in i also will say john martin because i thought that you know i think we were fans of john here on the podcast and you wondered what could come from him what could come of john martin with pat hoban gone and we we're talking a lot about cami elliott uh, what could John Martin do in a system where um, we'll never know? What could John Martin do in a system where Pat Hoban was gone? I mean, I also want to repeat that I think you know it's it's quite sad to see Pat Hoban go. 
given that he is you know the best ever lace up for us. But what would have been interesting to see is what would have happened in his wake. And I think to see what maybe you could have built a team with John Martin in there. Um, so definitely in the wake of, you know, the, obviously the big one of Hoban, there's some players which are like, yeah, it's time for them to move on. And other ones, it's the what if for me. What could you've done with one more season with them? Yeah, I think that uh, John Martin is probably the one that surprises me most because he was a skip signing, right? Um, he always seemed to respond pretty well to the manager. There was a lot of times he was asked to play as a direct replacement for Pat Hoopman when he was injured, right? And I think he struggled in that number nine role where he was expected to do, you know, all of the hold-up work. And I think he probably played his best for Dundalk when he was coming in off wide positions, right? So some of the goals he got, you know, in Europe, uh, again, against Strahada last season and stuff like that, you know, really key goals. And I think to see him go was, I think, maybe the most surprising of all of that. And I think when you pair him with Daniel Kelly and Patrick Hoopin leaving at the same time, right, that is all of our goals from last season, right? Uh, basically, the players who were the, the only ones who were banging them in on a regular basis are now all gone. And again, I think that contributes to the sense of like this being a big gamble. So maybe it will pay off. Maybe the likes of Robbie Mann and uh, Jamie Gullen and people like that who are coming in will click pretty early on. But I think one of the big risks is that the teams that tend to prosper best in the League of Ireland are ones that have a bit more stability, right? Where there's, you know, at least eight or nine of the starting 11 are players who've been with the club a couple of years and there's a system, you know, sort of built around them that they understand. And when you see like wholesale changes, whether it's at the dock or Sligo Rovers or Bohemians and stuff like that, right? Those teams really seem to struggle when there's a huge turnover of talent in the, the off season. And so I think that would be one of my big concerns, right? Um, if anything, we had a bit of a surprise a couple of years ago, because like this was the same thing that I was worried about when, uh, when Skip had his first season in charge of the club. Like, basically, I think it was only Andy Boyle was under contract or something like that, you know, when he came in. And everybody else was basically brought in a new, uh, well, I, I guess maybe not quite everybody, but, you know, pretty close. And I think it was a big surprise. Like, we had a lot of loan signings at that stage. And our expectation was it would take a long time for them to gel. But maybe, you know, come summertime, we'd start to see them, you know, sort of really get motoring. And so it was a big surprise to see us being quite competitive in the early days of that season and, uh, and get going. I don't know if you can repeat the feat again here, right? There's so many new faces, right? If they gel pretty quickly, um, if they get off to a good start, right, and maybe get an unexpectedly good result against the likes of Rovers and stuff of this, right, maybe that will build a bit of momentum and maybe it will it will happen again. But uh, I would say, again, like that is a, a big concern. It, it's easy to imagine a situation where these players just don't know each other, don't know each other's games. And it takes, you know, three, four months for them to really start to, to gel as a unit. Um, by which point it might be uh, difficult to, you know, sort of um, catch back up to the leading pack at that stage. First of all, as a kind of a, a precursor to any discussion of players, we whenever we've interacted with these guys, they've been absolute gentlemen. And I know that all the players that we're talking about, they were really, really good people. So if we have anything negative to say about them, just maybe on the field of play, that's in no way a reflection of these as kind of our fellow human beings. But if we look down this list, I suppose there are certain players who... Um, really their Dundalk career when they came in, there might have been, you know, expectations that weren't quite 
didn't quite work out. I mean, I expected a lot more from Alfie Lewis, and I thought that he was going to be a much bigger player for us than he was. But for some reason, he just never seemed to get going, and errors crept into his game, and maybe confidence ebbed away. Robbie McCourt seemed to be plagued by injuries. You know, when he came in, he was a bit of a gamble. We were hoping he might replace um, Mark Connolly, but that never really happened. And I think sometimes one game can be iconic. And when we were like challenging Shamrock Rovers and we were thinking maybe we have a league title on here, his injury and early withdrawal and then all the moving around we had to do, it sort of maybe defined his career. And every time he was getting a run of games, there'd be another injury or something like that. And again, his, his Dundalk career never really got going. So it's probably, you know, in his best interest too, to, to move on as well. Um, Looking down, I mean, Daniel Kelly, I know a lot of people rate him quite highly, think he's underrated. But with Daniel, you know, he could be good, he could be bad. He sort of was a little bit inconsistent, effective sometimes against some oppositions or some types of oppositions. Always seemed to score a trademark Daniel Kelly goal when he got space to run into. But in some of our other games, he would be anonymous. Daryl Leahy, I thought, reliable player. I would maybe have been on the verge of uh, favouring keeping Dara. But again, I think what probably hung over the entire squad was, although it's probably unfair to judge a whole season by one or two games, there is the spectre of the performance in Galway where all of these guys were there and we absolutely capitulated as a team very, very early and the bench was emptied after 25 minutes or whatever and nobody could seem to reverse this decline. And you might think that's a one-off, everybody has a bad day, but when we went down to Shelburne, who you rightly identify really as our direct rivals for that European spot, which they ended up getting, to not be able to muster a shot on goal in 90 minutes and the whole team looking lethargic and out of sorts, really Stephen O'Donnell probably made the decision saying, look, we have to have a turnover here. We have to have new bodies in because this is coming down to now either they go or shortly I'll be going. So that's probably why if he was wavering on many of these players as to whether they were part of his future plans or not, those performances probably tipped him to say, I need to do something fresh or something different here. Pete Ward, um, John Martin, they're interesting signings because Shelburne have a relatively young squad. And now they're bringing an experience. And it's interesting to see Sean Gannon going from Rovers to them as well. I think Shelburne are buying experience in and it'll probably improve them because that was one thing maybe they were lacking. And what you don't want them to do is begin to consolidate that spot above the table in us. So we in the past, we have past episodes where we're basically in mourning at the moving on of some of the established players and squad. Like I say, due to the Galway performance in the Cup, I think there'll be less of an emotional hit to see this turnover. What we don't really know about is the quality of the replacements. I suppose Derek Keane is the only one who's coming from inside the league. He is potentially another solution to that bedeviled central midfielder uh, role, which we're not quite sure about. We have had a look at some of the replacements. Uh, Ross Murnow, we as in goals, we don't quite know about yet. Last night's performance um, wasn't his greatest. He looked competent enough. He seems to like to play it out from the back, which is going to have Dundalk fans absolutely terrified because they do not like playing out from the back. But we were trying that sophisticated European style of the centre half, passing it to the goalkeeper within the six-yard area and then him laboring on the ball and picking out a pass now he could pick out a pass to a midfielder so his feet seem to be quite good very much the fashion for a modern goalkeeper he did however get caught dwelling on the ball to give draha their first goal 
he actually saved the penalty initially with a pretty good save, but unfortunately he couldn't get up for the rebound. So we'll just be watching his progress. Jamie Walker, he's replacing Darrell Leahy at left back. Looks to be kind of similar. Is he better or not? He did appear as an attacking force um, once or twice in the opposition area. However, didn't strike you as a sort of pacey left back, but we'll see as times go on. Uh, Cohen Ostenbrink seems to be, if just on the little that we've seen of him, a Rory Higgins, Jordan Flores style player. Very, very good at distribution, not particularly mobile or energetic. Doesn't stray too far from the center circle, but when he gets the ball, tends to use it well. He played alongside Paul Doyle, who looked quite sharp. Um, and if he can stay injury t- uh, injury free, we know that you know that could possibly be a good combination. Um, we've got several young players like Luke Mulligan coming in. Um, Mayoa Anamashun, who is a player that we've urged should be a more prominent member of the squad, he's back. Now, I would consider Andy Boyle is probably going to be one of your centre halves. I would consider that other centre half slot up for grabs. Um, we didn't, and we said it time and time again last year, we did not have a settled. Um, back four last year. We never really got a combination that was watertight. We proved again last night that we still can ship goals unnecessarily easily. I would like to see Mayoa given a run of games in there, or at least some more time coming off the bench. We know he can play that central defensive midfield role as well. I think when you've got a young player with his physique and his age, I think it's time to really see whether or not he can step up there is a need to have a more solid defensive partnership at the centre of the defence than we currently have or that we had last season. I'd like to see him get game time. I'm not saying that he's guaranteed to be the one, but he's been with the club a long time. He's been out on loan. I think now is the time to give him give him a try. And on the Greg Sluggett question, Greg, again, great character, great guy. But I suppose you mentioned the replacement for Chris Shields. That was a tall order, of course, but Greg is like not a really a young or emerging player anymore. He's sort of established his work ethic. It was impeccable, um, but you were always perhaps looking for other aspects of his game. Maybe the passing to be a little bit better. Maybe the few more goals from him would have been nice. Also, the first touch could have been a little bit more refined. I, I don't think anybody can ever say that Greg Sloggett didn't give 100 percent, but I suppose he was again part of that team, that squad that finished mid-table last season. Uh, some people are very, very fond of him because of the effort that he always puts in. That's a really admirable quality. You could look around last year's squad players that have moved on. We didn't mention Connor Malley. Connor Malley would strike you as sort of, you know, a player with maybe superior technical ability, but you know, only a fraction of Greg's work ethic. We'll see how his career goes at Sligo. Uh, but Greg looks like you know he's moving on. So there's an opportunity for essentially a whole new midfield. And what we saw last night was Robbie Benson again in the centre of things. And I think, again, he's he's going to be a really important player for us. We kind of saw the ability that he has, that full spectrum of the running, the passing, the tackling. He's there in the build-up to the goal. He's central to the goal that we do get. Uh, if we can keep him fit and we can get the right combination around and behind him, then you know, you've know you got a good chance of of having a coherent midfield again, despite all these changes. You mentioned the turnover of players. 
it does take a while for players to gel and so on. But um, I think this season is going to be, you know, competitive. It's going to be tough. There's not an easy start to it. So these guys are going to have to hit the ground running. Yeah, I think one of the things about Greg Sluggett uh, also is that he was one of the most versatile players in the squad. So, you know, in the run-in last season, the number of times he played at centre-half when, you know, we had two or maybe three centre-halves missing at the time, right? He really filled in those gaps and, you know, maybe he wasn't the ideal person to, to fill in those gaps, but he was the one who was chosen to do it because of his ability to play there. We saw him play sometimes almost as number 10. Uh, we always thought that maybe he should be playing as a central defensive midfielder, which is where he seemed to play least. Uh, and at the same time, right, he filled all of these gaps at the same time. So I think, you know, the skip is really going to have to find other players to try to fill those gaps. And no doubt, you know, over the course of the season, we will see injuries to people here and there. And there will have to be people who will play a little bit out of position. Will they be able to, you know, fill as many of the gaps as uh, Greg did? You know, I think that's a bit of a, a tall order. I am also a little bit surprised, right? As surprised as I was to, you know, see uh, some people like John Martin leave the club. I was surprised to see... Mayowa and Imashun uh, actually rejoined the squad because it was one of those situations last year where he seemed so frozen out where he had come back from loan and Skip simply hadn't registered him as a player for the league, right? If that didn't feel like a, a complete snub, I don't know what did. And so the fact that he's, you know, signed back on and uh, I'm part of the squad again, I think a bit of a surprise to me. Now, at the same time, I see the same things there uh, as you do, Ken, right? He didn't seem to have, when we last saw him play, Right, the greatest of maybe you know first touches or you know sort of controls and stuff like this, but he has an amazing physicality that almost nobody else I think in the squad does. Right, where he's big, he's tall, he's lanky, he's you know physically able to sort of reach for the ball in ways that other players aren't. And I think if you could build around him, you know, a bit more sort of football intelligence, a bit more of ability to you know sort of shield the ball from people and control the ball a little bit better, work on those aspects. I think you have an amazing physical you know sort of specimen there um who could be very good and this the likes of things that we saw with chris shields right when he first came to the club extremely raw <laughs> i think there was some people who were not altogether impressed with his first couple of years and yet you know over the course of many years he blossomed into a wonderful footballer um could the same thing happen again with the right coaching you know you'd hope so so uh we'll keep our fingers crossed yeah definitely i mean i think like a uh, the Mayoa anima soon resigning I, I would agree that one of the big problems with last year is that we we kept saying it that not having two central defenders getting a run together. And, you know, I think Skip needs to give a partnership a chance and to see a good on his head. Now, I personally wouldn't give too much uh, preseason. I know it's interesting a cup and stuff like this, but preseason friendlies or preseason games. I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into them. It really, really we we've seen some disastrous preseason results and then ahead of a season where we did not that badly. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into it. I would say that obviously you're gonna put Andy Boyle in there first, probably the first name is gonna be on the team sheet. And then I would say Mayoa definitely give him a shot. Um and then you build around it. As you said, I think Robbie Benson could become this just absolutely pivotal player because if you think about experience and just skill i mean a lot of these names that have come in as you said other than keen are unknowns to us so we can't say anything we've no idea 
And we've had a mixed bag on this in the last few years in that we've had a, a, a plethora of names that we've never heard of. And then we've names that we'll talk about from years to come. And then we've people who we will never hope to ever mention their names ever again. So, you know, in, in the last two seasons, we've had players come from places and we're like, players we'll always fondly think of. And then there's players who will become like a punchline in years to come about dud signings. So we won't know anything yet. But for a base to build around, you've got Andy, you've got Robbie. I mean, we've got Daryl Horgan, uh, which, you know, is is, is also that um, uh, proven talent in there. But I do think someone like, and I hate to say it, but injury, you know, if he stays out of injury, Bob could really, really do um, do something for us. And of course, there is the eternal Tasman, John Mountney. Who has re-signed? Um, which, who we should talk about? Who I think everybody loves. I mean, I think all the Dundalk fans love him as a character and what he's done. Did we see? Did I did I see him kick a football last year? I don't know. Um, but uh, he has signed up again. Um, but we could talk about him in time. But I do think that if Robbie Benson could stay injury free, and I hate saying that because it it becomes almost like a, um, it's like a it's like a curse. You know, maybe it's, it's some weird Irish guilt thing that I've by saying it, I'm going to manifest it. But if he stays injury free, we know what Robbie Benson is capable of creativity wise. And I, I'm going to say this, it's kind of like Greg Saga. In his second spell with Bob, we f- I always feel like the the season he could give us is is a, is just on the brink. So, it, so it, it, it could be coming up. So. We have, I mean, we talk about all these new players, these unknown players and stuff like that, but we also have some real proven talent in Horgan and Benson in there and Boyle. So, um, see what comes over. And, of course, John Mountney. Well, we did have a few um, questions from fans on uh, on X or Twitter about the new sign-ins and what they look like. So, we've already talked about Kuhn Ostenbrook, who looks like he's, he's really got a, a, a really a high level of passing skill. Um, and we've also seen that Robbie Mahan was very impressive in a wide position in preseason. Uh, he looks to be a really tricky winger. He can get the ball down. He can take people on, look them in the eye. Kind of in the mold, perhaps, of um, a lot of people have said he looks a little bit like Michael Duffy. And he did play a little bit like him. So hopefully those players are kind of really going to find themselves at home in the league and and make a good contribution. They do have the toughest of tough starts, though. It's a way to the champions who, by contrast, have a very settled squad. They've probably added to it. Johnny Kenny is back from Celtic. He was very prolific with Sligo Rovers. Didn't really happen for him at Shamrock Rovers last season. We had that surreal miss in the cup tie, which probably still has us both uh, giggling and also relieved that it didn't happen. But you would imagine that, you know, if more settled and with a preseason, that he could perhaps be a star for them. So that's going to be something of a baptism of fire for this new Dundalk team. Then we're home to Galway. Now that emotionally is going to be a big game. Galway really put us to the sword in emphatic style. We can expect a typical John Caulfield style of highly physical, direct, combative um, football. And it will be interesting to see whether last season's creaky Dundalk defence can endure a succession of inevitable long throws and corner kicks and free kicks from from John Caulfield's Galway. We have to, you know, we have the spectre of that trauma kind of um, still hanging over the squad. So 
yeah, that's going to be a big uh, a big test as our first home league game. And then things don't really get any easier because it's on to Bohemians away then after that. So two away games against the two big Dublin sides and then uh, a home tie against somebody who represents uh, last year's bogey team and low point. It, it will be interesting to see how that goes. Ken, can I ask your therapist, is Galway uh, and you, you, your therapist and Galway, is, has this been an ongoing conversation? I, th- I think, what did I, I describe that game um, last year as the type of game that gets you sacked. And Skip did survive that moment of crisis, but I think it, it remains a legacy of, at that moment, I think everybody realised that you couldn't just carry on as you were. We had seen like a great first season, an upward trajectory, but this was certainly, there was no way you could argue that we were going in the right direction after that Galway performance. Particularly, I think what, what probably irked me most was that we did have a week off to prepare for it. So nobody can say they were tired. Nobody can say there was really no excuses. And to go to a first division team, albeit one that was doing well, and and be absolutely abject and sort of be battered out of the game in 20 minutes it simply was for me a sign that things fundamentally had to change and if it wasn't going to be the manager then there had to be a big refurbishment of the players well i think not to retread territory we've talked about today but i think you make a really interesting point which is because the manager survived that listen and this is not to uh, whitewash or just to say that skip is you know um free from any blame but after that result you are right in that if the manager is to be trusted and continued with, on the night, and we all watched it, and we all watched it unfold ahead of us, it wasn't just setup and tactical problems. Once that game started, we were playing first division opposition. The players did capitulate. I mean, you can set out a team in a certain way, and players can react. And that was a lack of reaction. So I think it's an interesting point to call that a catalyst or to say to Dundalk fans, that's why an overhaul needed to happen. Because you said, I think we saw stuff that, you know, on this podcast, again, we don't try to be too negative about players, but sometimes the results tell you everything you need to know. After a game like that, it's it's in the air, it's in the wind, it's in, you know, that that this team is not functioning and that the players aren't functioning. So an overhaul of the team is what's necessary. But to go back to the original point about the out- upcoming fixtures, it's a bit weird. When the fixture list came out, I mean, my WhatsApp was exploding with people like, you know, baptism of fire, baptism of fire. And it is. But you know what? We're going to have to beat these teams. We're going to have to play these teams. In some weird way, I don't think the order really counts. You know what I mean? Because uh, you 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 have these sets of games where we play everyone in these in these sets, right? Okay, just say I mean, and Dundalk, by the way, we we've gotten you know draws where you've gotten yourself you know a UCD first game and all, and it doesn't matter, Dundalk, you know, we like you say, oh, we're away to the champions, uh, who've won it four times in a row, but we've gone first game Oriel against UCD and capitulated, so like. It, the order of these games to me doesn't really matter. Um, it's a massive, massive season. But one thing I'm going to say, because I think maybe at some stage we need to talk about the change of ownership, but it's an interesting point, which is last season is seen as it seems to be seen as a failure of a season. 
we were two points off qualifying for Europe. And the new owner said, if that's considered a failure, we're not doing too badly as a club. Do you know what I mean? To be two points off Europe. Now, I know what everyone's going to say, and I can see everyone's faces reaction to that, okay? Because we saw the games last season, and we saw where those points came from. We shouldn't have been in that position. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not whitewashing the scenario, but it's also not doom and gloom. For me, the issue about the upcoming season is this: this is the third rebuild in a row, and as you said, Ken, you know, the successful teams are the teams that build off a core of players. Now we do have a tiny skeleton. We, we, we've a we've a wire going through the team of established players. But this is probably the biggest rebuild of them all. I mean, that's the one thing about this upcoming season for me. It's the third year in a row that we're essentially seeing a new fit out, but it is the biggest new fit out. You know what I mean? Um, we have the we have the slightest skeleton from the previous season of uh, going forward. Um, but in a weird way, you've got less to you know less to lose more to gain um who knows what's going to happen but it's going to be a massive season for the manager i suppose one of the things which gives you a little bit of trepidation about going to tala on day one is the fact that we have a new spine to the team we will have a new goalkeeper we'll probably have we may have a a center half duo that played before but nonetheless you know there's been a lot of turnover there definitely new fullbacks but again the the defensive we'll have a new center forward and the defensive uh, midfielder role and who will be in front of them they'll not have played with each other before presumably uh, or certainly not for a prolonged period so i suppose maybe you'd like those bigger challenges to come slightly later um although we did when you think about that two point gap and this is why it's such a such a bugbear we did drop two points against ucd at home from a winning position last season and ultimately that was the second game and then and that turned out to be fatal to our european aspirations but what what does hang about and why why I don't buy your we were nearly in Europe line is we had so many opportunities despite our indifferent form to nail down that European uh, space, particularly with the head-to-heads to Shelburne, but also losing at home to Sligo, losing away to an abject Cork team that ended up getting you know relegated. These were results that sort of were like miniature Galway's. Galway was the most horrific and, and traumatic uh, event, uh, but there were, were there were tremors there. And we even had periods last season when even when we were on a good run of results, the football was not great and we were sort of getting away with it. You'll remember the last minute injury time brace of goals that got us three points against Cork at home. And most people will think we made harder work of Bruno's magpies than really should have been the case. And to lose to AK Akiuri, you know, I know Skip kind of brushed it off as maybe it's a step too far for us but that was you know a lot of money against the mid-table team in the Icelandic division which I know is not to be taken for granted given that we played Icelandic opposition before and they were very good but um there was there was we can we can look back at last season and we can see that there was you know we were it was a, the season was very forgiving to us that Europe stayed a possible aspiration right until the final day we made a lot of mistakes and we didn't really get punished for them uh, but we kept on making those mistakes until you've just slipped down into mid-table 
you're right in a certain way and the nothing to lose attitude a major overhaul lots of new players being thrown together many of them new to the league no Dundalk FC fan should have an expectation that we're back in contention for Europe straight away, that we should be stronger than last year. There are so many new variables in this squad that we simply don't know. We can be reassured by one fact from last season. I don't think any team were particularly good. It took Shamrock Rovers ages to get going, and eventually they ended up strolling to the title because every time they slipped up, Derry obligingly couldn't take advantage of it. Maybe it'll be different with Patrick Hoobin in that Derry squad. Much as we love this league and love to defend it and love to advocate for it, last season was probably the poorest quality season that we had in the league for a long time. So even though that's a negative point, it gives you some hope for optimism in that if we can get it together, if these new players can play to their potential, there is every chance that you can get back into that race for Europe and compete against those who will be trying to get there, which is essentially Shelburne and St. Patrick's Athletic and Bohemians, the same mini league that we had last season. Um, and who knows? You know, the assumption that Derry and Rovers are going to run away with it, that's been fairly reliable the last couple of years, but eventually that's got to change as well. So, um, with very little football played, there's no point speculating on where we might finish. But I suppose every Dundalk fan will be kind of adopting a, well, a lot of things have changed. Let's wait and see how they work out attitude. Shall we turn to Twitter to see what people said about our result in the double header, the Malone Cup and Leinster Cup? Sure. So uh, reaction to the um, defeat to Drogheda in the Malone Cup. Peter McDermott said, second half, very flat. Only positives are Kenny scoring, Benson looking fit, and Mahan looking dangerous. Worried for next week, it could be a big score. Uh, Rhino said, Horgan looked fit and very lively down the wing. Was unlucky with a few crosses. Robbie Morton said, Luke Mulligan looks handy, and Owen Kenny is better than I thought. We have lost our three most technical midfielders, Coco, Wardy, and Mali. Good if some of that is replaced, and a strong, dominant centre-back is needed. Simon Conroy said, I was disappointed last year. If you give me a fifth place finish, knocking Rovers out of the cup and a clean sweep against the Drogs, I'd happily take it after watching that mass la match last night. Mary O'Hanlon said, taught Robbie Mahan was good and Owen Kenny took his chance well. We will see when the league starts. Elaine Sweeney said, felt slightly more positive at half time than I do now. Some good movement and passing, uh, but killing ourselves at the back. The Busted Bubble says, if we go into another season undercooked, when we did that the last three seasons, you'd have to get annoyed that we keep getting another preseason wrong. And Simon Cannon said, hard to know what to say about that. I suppose it's a friendly, uh, quotation marks. Plenty of the ball, but found it hard to use it to our advantage in the final third. Nobody jumped out. Maybe Doyle looked good carrying the ball forward. Early days, I know, but not overly confident. Okay, so still uh, pretty much... I suppose slightly underwhelming preseason with two defeats, one victory, another game coming up quick. We're playing Bohemians on Monday at five o'clock. There's rumours that that might be a heavily rotated side, so maybe we'll get to see some of our players who we haven't seen before. And then it's the the wait for the opening day of the season, which is in two weeks' time against Shamrock Rovers and Tala. We haven't, of course, talked about the change of ownership, which I suppose was big news. Uh, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, well, I, I think one of the most entertaining things for me is that in contrast to the past maybe three takeovers, right, there's much less of a, a red carpet rolled out, I think, for the new owner uh, and much more a sense of, you know, sort of careful analysis of what his plans are. And I don't know if Brian Ainscoff is a bit jealous of maybe the red carpet treatment that the likes of, you know, Peak Six and the Stat Sports folks got, you know, of, you know, thank you for saving us, uh, you know, from the, the previous administration. Uh, whereas I think he's getting the treatment of, well, well, we've watched, you know, sort of unprecedented success for a few years. And yet the Oriel Park, you know, around us is slowly crumbling. Uh, the pitch isn't really up to standard, needs to be replaced. Uh, we've got all sorts of issues. What are you going to do about it? And I think he's had to field a whole set of very awkward questions about, you know, things that obviously have not been under his control um, for a long time. But I think the now almost infamous, you know, snapping of his seat the first time that he tried to take his place in the stand is really, you know, sort of bringing home the message of, you know, a lot, a lot of time has passed and not very much has been done around the place. And so um, he's definitely gotten in at the deep end, right? Uh, I think... I, I want to say that the only way is up from here, that uh, if we get a few things sorted and performances on the pitch go pretty well, then, you know, hopefully um, I think his tenure will be looked upon fondly uh, and we will start to feel a bit of momentum about things changing. But uh, he's definitely found himself taking over the club at a time where I think there's a lot of frustration with various different aspects. Well, if he manages to fill in a puddle or two, he'll have matched Peak Six's legacy to the infrastructure of the club. Any other thoughts on Brian? Yeah, I mean, I'm somewhat infamous for being extremely, uh, I was extremely bearish uh, on um, Peak Six when they came in. And as I always like to remind people, I was right. Uh, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Um, well, a few things I would say. I would say that Peak Six were so bad and that whole era was genuinely, I think, just such a fucking nightmare that when, when, when let's call it the stat sports regime came in, I think it was like any port in a storm. Now, the stat sports uh, period, I would say one thing, in a way they did save the club because the club was being owned and ran by, you know, absolute, you know, people who are asleep at the wheel, didn't care if they weren't malignant, you know what I mean? We all know this, we don't need to go into it. So the club was essentially, any point was saved. There's a slight disappointment in that I think is that the stat sports, again, I'm just going to call it the stat sports regime because it's the easiest way to call it, um, was a bit disappointing because I think that it didn't really turn out going forward as um, positive as it could have. I think there are a lot of positives. Skip came in. I think that first season was blew everyone out of the way. Like no one could have predicted that first season. Um, it, I mean, it wasn't the worst thing. But I think though that the second season and you know where where it started to end last year. I listen. I'm going to say, and this is from a total outsider perspective. I have no insider knowledge. I get the feeling that interest had been lost in the project from the owners. Um, I don't think that's unfair to say, and I don't think it's a slight on them. I get the feeling that general interest in as an ongoing concern had been lost. And I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. Now, one thing I would say about the previous owners is that they did say that they, that they were looking for further investment. It didn't come. One thing I would say about the new owner, which I'm positive about, is that 
he had been involved in Kerry, he had been involved in the league, and he had seen, he knows about the league. Possibly the previous owners, the stats worst guys, weren't too aware of the situation and then got the club and then realized the realities of running a League of Ireland club. But Brian definitely understands the realities of running a League of Ireland club. I think it's especially if you're if you're if you're involved in a first division club, you really know about the realities of running the club. A brand new first division club, and you really know all about it. the fact that he wants to hang around is the thing that I'm I, I I find very interesting. That he I mean he said it in his in his first interview, he said that he um he knew the guys involved in Dock, he had been involved in Kerry, and he clearly want sees some value in this situation. And wants to hang around and do more. I'm genuinely, um, and I'm an extremely negative person when it comes to all this stuff. I'm genuinely a bit positive about this because he he has had experience with Kerry and he wants to do more. He hasn't it, the, the Kerry situation has not scared him off the you know off the island. So that's something positive. He has also said that the the timing he it, he has said why he came in as 100 owner. Because the time it was such a quick turnaround at the time, you know he's 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 explained why this is. But he is open and looking for more investment, and he claims more is coming. Now, the only thing was this: we have heard this story before that we're looking for more investment, and investment is coming. That's the one thing where my cynical um, ears prick up, which is about the need for further investment, and I'm working on it because we have heard that before. But he did explain the reason that the sale happened so quickly and why he was 100% owner was to get it over the line. But now he's looking for that. But I've been burned before about this talk of further investment coming. So let's keep a, you know, let's, I would say I'm cautiously positive, uh, 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 optimistic about the situation. Well, it's interesting that Rory finally found an owner that you kind of like, or at least don't hate. It's it's always very difficult to speculate in the nature of ownership because fans don't really get an insight into it. And we just tend to use performances on the pitch as the metric of how we judge the owners as well. So even if you have chaos you know, as, at an organizational level, if things are OK on the pitch, people will kind of usually give the owner the benefit of the doubt. It is it is interesting. I think, look, talk of infrastructure and facilities. We know the bugbear there. Um it's it's takes a lot of money and without any government interest, I don't think things are going to change beyond the cosmetic. Um, on top of that, I mean, stats sports and whether they lost interest or not, I, I personally, I think there's a slightly different way of looking at that. I think when you take over, we've seen from the annual accounts that are submitted into you know the revenue, very few League of Ireland clubs make money. Usually they're a labor of love for some uh, some uh, benevolent um, uh, tycoon who is uh, throwing money into them at, at various different levels. And you've got to have deep pockets to be able to afford to lose 600, 700, 800,000 a year. Not many people can do that sort of thing. And that's kind of the figures that a lot of clubs deal with when, particularly when they miss their mark and they don't get European revenue or they don't, they've budgeted for maybe two rounds in Europe and that doesn't happen. So I suspect that given that we went out of Europe perhaps around earlier than we would have wanted to and didn't get it this year, that probably meant that if you were the Dundalk FC owner, you were on the hook for maybe €200,000 that you would have to stump up if you hung around that you didn't really account for. 
And uh, I've got to say, personally, if I had 200,000 euro um, paying off debts at Dundalk FC would not be my first uh, way to spend my money. Uh, if I had 20 million, maybe I'd consider it. But, you know, I think that's probably why. Whenever an owner takes over a club, they probably have a limited um, runway in which they can continue to endure losses unless they are a multi, multi, multi-millionaire who's willing to continue to endure those losses. And that's the type of owner that you tend to have even in League One and in League Two, some increasingly, somebody who can afford to lose quite a amount of money. So I think the baton has been passed now and we're probably on the beginning of another period of ownership. We wish Brian all the best, seems a very approachable guy, has a sort of football background it's based in America, which I thought would put you off, Rory, but you seem to be willing to forgive him that. Um, so I said I was cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Let's not let's not overhype what I just said. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, we will be as with the on-team performance, we'll be hoping that the on-off-field staff can can uh, can keep the ship running for yet another season, and that perhaps the basic requirements that we always desire, if we see good football. And and we see, you know, young players getting their chance and the shirt being represented in the right way, then, you know, the results will be what they will be as long as we as long as we see it on dog team, you know, entertaining us and giving us uh, giving us goals and chances. That's that's my minimum requirement for the season. Well, in that case, we can wrap it up. We'll all be looking forward to the opening day in Tala, which is going to be televised as well. Hopefully there'll be a big crowd there and there. And um, we will see what this new Dundalk FC squad can do. Thanks to all the contributors to the show, Rory Murphy, Martin Mullen and Damien Kenny. Thanks to everybody who uh, contributed questions on Twitter or X. And we'll see you for the next episode after the Shamrock Rovers game.